and begin a new series. We're going to be studying the book of Philippians together on Sunday mornings. And as we look at the book of Philippians, I ask myself, where to begin? It might be good to provide some background to Philippians, to think about the converts that were at Philippi. In the book of Acts, we learn of Lydia and uh, their prayer meeting and how they came to faith. We have the astounding account of the Philippian jailer coming to faith during Paul's imprisonment. And I was going to start... Excuse <coughs> me. I was going to start there, but then decided I would weave those into the text at the appropriate place in the scriptures. So I decided to start in a novel place. That is, to start at the beginning. One might ask, where else would you start? Well, I think the temptation would be, as we look at Philippians chapter 1, is to begin with verse 3. To start with the prayer and kind of just ignore this greeting, thinking that it's so commonplace. What can we say about it? What is there really to think about? Well, we are reminded in the scriptures that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. So all of the scripture is profitable. Some scripture is more profitable than others. There are certain passages of scripture that uh, contain such uh, wonderful thoughts and truths that they become habitual to our uh, turning. Uh, Psalm 23, Romans 8, passages such as that. But I decided that we're going to spend our time this morning uh, looking at verses 1 and 2. This greeting. Why? Well, because... The greeting to the Philippians is very unique. If you compare this to the other greetings of Paul's epistles, there are some very striking dissimilarities. There are some unique features in this particular greeting that I think is worthy for us to consider this morning. So my theme is lessons from the unique features in Paul's address to the Philippians. Lessons from the unique features in Paul's uh, address to the Philippians. First, I would point out to you that this opening verse, verse 1, is out of character for Paul. It reads, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. In most of the Pauline epistles, Paul begins by speaking of himself as an apostle, and then not only speaks of himself as an apostle, but stresses the fact that he is an apostle by the will of God. And that becomes the basis for his authority to write these letters. Just listen to some of the greetings in the epistles, starting with Romans. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Corinthians, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Galatians, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and the Father. Ephesians 
1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Colossians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior. As you listen, you get that repeated emphasis, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. So why didn't Paul follow the normal pattern of referring to himself as an apostle by the will of God and instead, in this instance, refers to himself and Timothy as servants of Christ? Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. I submit to you there are three reasons that can be offered. In fact, three reasons that have been offered. The first reason that Paul does not refer to himself as an apostle is because Paul's apostleship is not challenged. The Philippians readily acknowledge Paul's authority. Uh, He has nothing that he needs to prove to the Philippians. Unlike the Corinthians, who had a tendency to reject the Pauline authority and his apostleship, the Philippians were fully on board with the Apostle Paul. Now that's part of the answer, but it certainly is not all of the answer, for even in writing to Timothy, who Paul refers to as a son in faith, and obviously does not challenge Paul's apostleship, nevertheless starts his letter to Timothy with these words, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God and our Savior. So it must be something more than just the fact that the Philippians did not challenge his Pauline authority. There must be something else that is going on here. The second reason that Paul does not refer to himself as apostle is because of servanthood of the leaders is a main emphasis in this epistle. If you look at verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. Then, Paul, even when looking at Jesus, emphasizes Jesus' servanthood. Notice Philippians 2.7, referring to Jesus. Philippians 2.7 but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. By taking the form of a servant. And a major theme in Philippians is the nature of the servanthood of leadership. Notice Philippians 2.5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. But the third reason, and I would submit to you the primary reason, that Paul does not refer to himself as an apostle, is because he is raising Timothy to his level, making Timothy his equal. Notice Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy. It is rare, though not unique to uh, Philippians, that Paul 
includes other people in his greeting. But there, uh, Paul does refer to Timothy elsewhere, and in one instance refers to Paul, Timothy, and Silas. So it's, it's not totally unique, but it's, it's unusual that he refers to Timothy. But Paul is commending Timothy to the Philippians because Timothy is being sent to them in Paul's stead. Paul's in prison. And he is unable to go to the Philippians. And so he is going to dispatch uh, Timothy to them. Notice Philippians 2.19. Philippians 2.19. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. Paul speaks of Timothy as being unique in his service for Christ. Notice verses 20 and 21 of chapter 2. For I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare, for they seek all their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He is unique in the way in which he serves Christ. Now notice verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has, now this word again, served with me in the gospel. So the emphasis is that Paul is writing to them as a servant of Jesus Christ. Servanthood is huge in the book of Philippians. There's no coincidence here. But there are some important lessons to keep in mind. First, Paul was not in competition with Timothy for the affection or the authority over the Philippians. There was no competition here. Paul was readily willing to identify Timothy with himself and with this servant spirit. Paul was not selfish in seeking to guard his turf with the Philippians. Paul was truly interested in the spiritual well-being of the Philippians and thus wanted to promote Timothy in their eyes. It was important that Paul promote Timothy so that they could do the work that he, so that he could do the work that he had called him to do. It was important that when they received Timothy, they received him with respect. That they received him with authority. So right from the get-go, Paul, though Paul is the author of Philippians, nevertheless includes the greeting as coming from them both. And then uses one common descriptive phrase as servants of Christ Jesus. It was important that Paul promote Timothy, for even though the Philippians knew Timothy well, they might not otherwise have given him the respect that they needed to give him. You see, as the church was founded at Philippi, Timothy was ministering alongside of Paul. They, Timothy is not an unknown quantity to the Philippians. He's not a, a name out of the blue. When he writes that this is from Timothy, they can put a face 
with his name. They can put experiences with his name. They knew Timothy. They knew Timothy as a fellow worker of the Apostle Paul. And they also knew Timothy as a son in the faith. They knew Timothy as an underling, if you will, as one that was being trained, mentored by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul isn't going to be with Timothy. Timothy is going to be on his own, coming and ministering to the church at Philippi. It was essential that they received him in the way that they would have received the Apostle Paul himself. I think there's a, an incredibly important lesson for us all to learn, and that it is important as people come up through the ranks, and especially as people come up through the ranks within the church, that we are able to grow with them, that we are able to see the progression that's taking place in people's lives. And as they mature and as they develop in their walk with the Lord and as they take on more responsibility, that we give them the respect that goes with that responsibility for their ability to do the work and for our spiritual well-being. Paul's going to be talking a lot about peace in the church in writing to the Philippians. One of that aspects of peace is this receiving of Timothy as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, it was important that Paul promote Timothy as a model of how God's people are to work together. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you look at verse 5, that closes the epistle. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Paul writes concerning his ministry, for what we proclaim, okay, the message that we are proclaiming is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord. We're not trying to create followers of ourselves. We are trying to create followers of the Lord Jesus Christ with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So as Paul looks at his ministry, he said, it's not about proclaiming me, it's about proclaiming Jesus Christ and ourselves as servants for your sake. Look at Philippians 4, 1, 2, and 3. Philippians 4, 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. These two people are having problems. So he said, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These are women that worked side by side 
and they worked side by side with Paul. And so he says, you are working side by side. You need to agree. You need to get along. That's how God's servants are to serve together. They are to get along. They are to agree. They are not to be promoting themselves. They are to be promoting the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is a living example of what he is commanding the Philippians to do. Paul, in the way in which he is serving with Timothy, is demonstrating this very thought of how people are working together to bring glory not to themselves, but to the Lord Jesus Christ and how they are of the same mind. Paul goes on to say in chapter 2 that there is no one as like-minded with him as Timothy. They are of the same mind. They are of the same ilk. They have the same approach. They have the same desire. Therefore, listen to him, is what Paul is saying. It is important that we promote others in doing the work of God. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. See how all these themes were unfolded. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In ministry, the primary goal of ministry should be of raising up others to take our place. Paul writes to Timothy to teach others also that they may teach still others. The whole point is making disciples, not of ourselves, but of Jesus Christ. And preparing the next generation to continue on that very same ministry. And as we prepare that next generation, giving that next generation the freedom and the respect to be able to minister under the authority of Jesus Christ in such a way that their work is profited and we are spiritually benefited, that we receive from them that ministry that God has given to them. Paul and Timothy, servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul giving dignity and respect and prominence to Timothy. The second unique feature in the address is how Paul refers to the recipients of the letter. In fact, there are a number of unique ways in how Paul refers to the recipients in the book of Philippians. Only here and in Romans does Paul use the word all in addressing the saints. Look at Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Romans 1, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. But the normative practice is that which is found in Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. So the normal thing is just saying to the saints. 
But here, he says, to all the saints. Is that really significant? That simple adding of the word all. Well, let me uh, read this quotation from the uh, word biblical commentary. The word biblical commentary uh, says this. This, I quote, the startling frequency of the, the expression, all of you, with which Paul continually addresses the Philippian Christians, indicates that he is subtly but forcefully calling them to unity, assuring them all of his love and prayers, and telling them that he was writing not only to those who continually brought him joy, but also to those whose actions tended to fracture the church None was excluded. Let's just take an overview. Philippians 1. 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Down to verse 4, chapter 1. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Philippians 2.17, even if I am bound to pour it out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. It is about each and every Philippian. The second unique feature in the way that Paul addresses the Philippians is in the two classifications of their leadership. Verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and now these words, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, and now this, with the overseers and the deacons. This is the only epistle in which Paul refers to both the elders and the deacons in his greeting. It's the only epistle in the New Testament where he refers to both elders and deacons. Paul's writing to elders, referred to here as the word overseers. And he's uh, writing to deacons, uh, as referred to as deacons. Keep in mind that the word deacon means servant. That uh, deacon is actually a transliterated rated, uh, word from the, from the Greek, diakone. And diakone means servant. Servant. So when Paul writes and refers uh, to uh, himself as a servant, there is much in kin. Now the word he uses for servant for himself is a bond slave. But here when he refers to these, these deacons, he is putting them on the same plane. Paul is bringing together the laity, when he refers to the saints, He's referring to those that are born again. And he refers to the elders. He refers to the deacons. And he's putting them all on the same par. All on the same level. 
all bearing the same responsibility of being servants to each other. He's talking about a basis for the way in which they're to interact. Last week, we just uh, set aside an elder. We established uh, Kevin to be an elder in the church. I mentioned the fact that as elders, we are to be servant leaders, not authoritarian. Well, that's what Paul is going to be addressing in a very demonstrable way. But they need to be servants of each other. Elders, deacons, deacons, elders, lay people, elders, etc. So lessons from the way in which Paul addresses the recipients. First, what Paul is writing are universal truths applicable to all believers. That's one of the things that I, I love about the book of Philippians. It is extremely practical. It is extremely relevant to each of us, no matter what situation we're in. No matter where we work, no matter what we do, no matter what our position or non-position is in the church, it is an epistle for us. It is an epistle for us. It is a letter regarding the attitude we all are to share and how important that attitude is in doing the work of God, whatever it is that we do. How important that attitude is in getting along and the relationship that we enjoy to one another. T.W. Manson has said this, and I quote, Paul was articulating an idea that the Philippian people with their officials needed to learn and adopt that was wholly consistent with Paul's own understanding of all offices within the church and with the teaching and practice of our Lord, end quote. The third feature is not unique in the address. In fact, it is virtually universal in Paul's writings. That is, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just listen to the other epistles. Romans 1.7, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.3, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians, grace to you in peace from God our Father. First Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, grace to you in peace. Second, Th Second Thessalonians 1.2, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Titus, grace and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Philemon, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Says it time and time and time and time again. What are we to, to take from that? Is this a mere form? Okay, is this just a tradition that Paul has established or maybe even taken from, from culture? Although let me just say that he didn't take it from culture. But let's just suppose that it just became a, a normative way of greeting people within the church. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord, is, Lord Jesus Christ. I submit to you that, that the, the word of God is inspired 
It teaches us that every word is important. Uh, it teaches us that there is truth to be found in everything that is said. Rather, I think there's a, a, an important theological truth for us to contemplate this morning. And that is, what is the greatest blessing that we could receive from God? If you wanted to communicate a truth, if, if you wanted to go away feeling, quote, blessed this morning, what would that blessing consist of? Okay. As we study the, the book of Philippians, what should we come away with when we study this book? We'll spend a good number of weeks on this. What should we develop in our understanding about God as a result of this book? I would submit to you that the Bible teaches us that the two most significant qualities for us to pursue in our Christian faith is grace and peace. The greatest blessing that we can receive from God is his grace. God's goodness to us is his grace. That unmerited favor, that undeservedness, that at the very basic root of our understanding of our relationship with God has to be grace. I don't deserve this. And then it needs to translate into every aspect of our life. The elders have to understand that they're an elder by grace. Deacons have to understand that they are deacons by grace. People have to understand that they are brought into a relationship of God by grace. That we are brothers and sisters by grace. That it's all about grace. God dealing with us in ways in which we don't deserve. And then translating that into being gracious in the way in which we serve others. I'm getting ahead of myself. We are not to think of this phrase as a meaningless form. It's not a throwaway line. So let's think about what this epistle says about grace and peace. First, what does it say about grace? It's important to keep in mind that as God's people, we are all recipients of grace. Philippians 1.7. Philippians 1.7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. You are all partakers with me of grace. What we have in common as a people of God is that we are all recipients of grace. It is important to keep in mind that in the grace of God, we all participate in the work of God to some degree or another. Notice what he says in Philippians 1.7. Not only for you are all partakers with me of grace, but then he says this, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul says, you participate with me. 
that we are working together. That together we are serving God. Now how did they do that? Well, one of the ways in which they did it was in sending uh, financially a gift to Paul while he was in prison. That's in Philippians chapter 4. I'll unpack that when we get there. That's one way. One way that we participate together in the work of God is in our giving of tithes and offerings. That as you bring your monies, that uh, it allows the work of God to go forward. We're participating. We participate in God's work in our prayers. We participate in God's work in our mutual support. We are all participants in the work of God by grace. But furthermore, we all stand in need of and dealing with each other as saints and elders and deacons with grace. Now, Philippians 4.21 and following. Philippians 4.21. I know I'm jumping all over the place. I'm, I'm trying to give you an overview of how these themes work their way through Philippians. Philippians 4.21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And now this word. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What does that mean? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It means may the grace of God be with your spirit in offering that grace to others. May the grace of God make you gracious. May the grace of God so affect us that we treat people in ways that they don't deserve. May the grace of God so affect us that we want to be merciful and kind and loving to one another. May the grace of God so abound in our hearts that it results in our peace with one another. That's the ultimate See, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we ever going to maintain peace? It's by experiencing and sharing the grace of God with each other. So let's look at what this epistle quickly says about peace. A consideration of peace. Philippians 1, 2. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, this epistle says a lot about peace. First, the peace of God, which is the inner peace that comes from God. Philippians 4, 7. I'm not doing these in order, uh, but, uh, and for a reason. The peace of God, the inner peace that comes from God. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that's not about an inner peace. A peace of your heart and mind. Being at peace inwardly with God and with others. The second peace is peace with God. 
the friendship that we enjoy to God. In Philippians 3, 18, it refers to the false brethren. And it says, Philippians 3, 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They are not at peace with God. They are at enmity with God. They are warring against God. They are fighting with God. They are not at peace with God. There is peace from God. The peace that we enjoy in our relationships to one another. Turn with me to Philippians 4.9. Philippians 4 9. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Boy, uh, that, that's, that's quite the undertaking. What you have learned and received, what you heard, what you have seen. What you heard from me, what I taught you, what I instructed, what you saw in me, my relationships, my relationship with Timothy, my relationship with you, all those things. Practice these things. And now notice. What it says at the end of verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. You do these things, and you will be at peace. You live this way. You model this behavior. You adopt this attitude. And you're going to have peace. Sinti and Euodia, if you follow these things, you're going to be at peace. Timothy's going to come to you. If you follow these directions, you're going to be at peace. You're going to welcome him. He's going to be productive. The church is going to prosper. If you do these things, you're going to be at peace. I would submit to you that peace is the ultimate blessing that can come from God. Why do I say that? Because it is so universally the blessing that is referred to, even in all these epistles, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But going all the way back to the Old Testament, when a benediction was to be pronounced, uh, benedictum is a Latin term, benes uh, meaning good, dictum meaning word, a good word, a word of blessing, a, a word in which you are calling down God's favor upon you. God told Aaron, when you bless the people, bless them with these words. Listen to Numbers 6.23. Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Grace. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When you bless God's people, call down God's grace upon them. That they may be at peace with God, themselves, and each other. The greatest blessing that we can receive 
as a church is receiving and giving grace. And then giving and receiving grace to be at peace. Peace with God. Peace in our own hearts and minds. And peace among God's people. With the saints. With the elders. With the deacons. To be at peace. May God grant us as we work through the book of Philippians. That he would enrich us with grace. And he would bless us with peace. All to his honor and to his glory. For it comes only from God the Father through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to be people that are filled with grace. That, Lord, we are humbled before you. That we are constantly reminded that we don't deserve the positions that we hold, the offices that we have. We don't merit your favor by the work that we do. It's not the lives that we live that warrant the blessings that we come. Lord, it's of grace. And may we never forget it. May we never become proud or lifted up as we look at our own accomplishments, for they're not our accomplishments. They are the empowering work of the Spirit of God who bestows upon us gifts and abilities and opportunities. You who have begun a good work are the one who performs it to the day of Christ. Help us to understand grace. And then, Lord, help us to be instruments of grace. Treating people in ways that they don't deserve, ways that I don't deserve. Lord, may we be gracious with one another, kind, tenderhearted, merciful. Lord, may we want to promote one another. May we want to exalt one another to the glory of Christ. Help us to be gracious. And then, Lord, in that grace, may we be at peace. Peace with you because our sins are forgiven. Peace in our hearts for we know of the assurance of that forgiveness and recognize our welcomeness in your presence because of grace and that we have peace with our brothers and sisters because we are receiving and we're bestowing grace to one another. We ask for that peace in our church, we ask for that peace in our hearts. We ask for that peace in relationship with you. Lord, as we gather together and work our way through Philippians, may we not just engage in some perfunctory act, but, oh, Lord, may we come with a heart of expectancy. And, Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, that we might experience more of your grace and more of your peace to your honor, to your glory, to the enrichment of your people and of this world. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've, uh